Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, happy Tuesday. Happy Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday. You should give to your church. Yeah. That's what you should do. Yep. Yep. Wherever your church is, we'd like you to give to your church. That's helpful. Yeah. In fact, you know, on that note, I know year end giving is coming up for a lot of people. You're thinking about that. And uh, and the church is a great place to uh, to focus that and uh, and to think about on that. And I know for, for our church, we would certainly appreciate that and be grateful for that as we continue to, to get ourselves established and get on our feet as a church plant here. Um, we're thankful for the the people that God has provided for us and the gifts that he continues to provide for us. So. That's right, man. I, I also, I mean, I've, I've uh, given to different organizations in the past. So we've done World Vision. We've done, um, what's the other one? That uh, Operation Christmas Child. We've done that too. That's fun. I like some of those. Uh, I get stuff from Southern too, Southern Seminary. They send me stuff and ask me for donations. Someday I will. I'm not there yet. Yeah. I think I'm going to get my education there first and then and then give later. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah. whatever you do, I mean, give. Christians are meant to be generous. We're called to be generous. In fact, Christians are the ones who give. We do the bulk of the giving. If you look at the per capita giving, yeah. um, it's more concentrated in areas where there's a greater Christian presence. And no surprise, because we come from a religion where the the very God of that religion is the one who gave, and that's the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. So, hey, go give. I mean, great. It's great to it's great to buy great to buy gifts for people. But go give to something that's going to be longer and greater lasting than an, an iPhone or an iPad. Which, I mean, talk about just our culture doing the biggest subconscious Jesus juke of all times. <clears throat> They're like, here's Black Friday. Here's Cyber Monday. Let's talk about Giving Tuesday. <laughs> I think their conscience finally caught up to them. Or, yeah. uh, you know, nonprofit organizations are like, hey, hold on. Let's yeah. make something. Let's, let's keep, keep this truck rolling here. We want a slice of that pie. That's, I don't blame them either. Yeah. Speaking of pie. So the other morning I, I woke up and my twins woke up they're usually shortly behind me and, and they come downstairs and one of them goes do we still have any pumpkin pie left over no. and i was i was thinking well y- yeah we do now it's 6 30 in the morning i mean and he, he had pancakes it's he basically walks, the same thing yeah well he walks away and i'm like oh he's going to check if we've got it and uh he comes back inside from the garage fridge carrying the gigantic costco pumpkin pie <laughs> and i looked at him i was like dude we're not doing pumpkin pie for breakfast and he just was crestfallen he was like it was like I kicked his puppy. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys eat waffles for breakfast? I mean, we have. Okay. Yeah. Then what's the difference? Uh, it's categorically different. <laughs> it's not. It is. It's the same thing. Yeah. Do you like pumpkin pie? I do. I mean, I don't, I don't, it's not my first go-to, but I, I like it. Okay. Do you? If pumpkin pie was not associated with Thanksgiving, would it exist? Ooh, probably not. Right. I don't know that turkey as a, as a main course would be all that popular for for Thanksgiving. But turkey would have a place in that like people have turkey sandwiches. Yeah, like a fourth, you know. fifth choice, nothing else to eat. I might as well eat turkey. Well. That or dirt. Yeah. I mean, Subway has kind of done well making sure. turkey sandwiches. But I, it's never, it's rarely anyone's first choice is what I'm saying. I don't like leftover turkey. I'm, I, I enjoy turkey hot and fresh off the bird. Yeah. But it uh, gets dry pretty quick. Leftover, yeah, like thick pieces of cold turkey pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some yeah. people are all about that. They'll eat turkey sandwiches like that for like a, a two weeks. I mean, I, I would do it if we made a turkey. I'd be all about that. I can't. I can't do it. But I'm practical like that. Yeah, that's true. You are. Yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm, if giving, I'm impractical. <laughs> You're highly impractical. Very impractical. Inefficient and impractical. Yeah. 
Well, you know what? It, it, love is inefficient, and that's a good thing. You know, love is costly, and it's impractical often. So that's good. Maybe but you're more reckless. Than I am. It is not reckless. It's not reckless, buddy. Nope. No. We, why? Why don't you like reckless love, Pastor PJ? Because it's it's a the the worst title and concept of a song that I think potentially has ever been written by a, a Christian artist. Oh wow. Yeah. It's it, God's love is not reckless. It was. We we talked about it the other day. You talked about foreknowledge, right? Yeah. 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 If you, you go to, to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says that this Jesus whom you delivered up by the hands of the lawless men to be crucified, he was foreknown by God. It, it, it's not like God was was up in heaven going, oh no, what are they doing? They're sinning. What should we do? I don't, I don't know. Jesus, get down there really quick. I'm going to nail you to the cross. And, up. and Jesus is all, are you sure this is a good idea, God? Like, think about, like reckless is never used in a good sense anywhere else. Reckless driving. Yeah, is that good? Is anyone like, oh man, he was a reckless driver. That's such a good thing. <laughs> Sing about it. No. Well, what, is there any poetic license that you could take that and say, oh, this, the word conveys the uh, the kind of extravagant no. love that God provides? No, use that word. It's, that's the more syllables though. Reckless well, is two Change syllables. your reckless song. Reckless love, yeah. Yeah. Two syllables total. Yeah. The, the, extravagant. The, the wondrous love of God. The, the marvelous love of God. The, the Yeah, the abundant love of God. I mean, it just... It's so short-sighted, and and people just throw up their hands and sing it, and it, it, it's an indictment on the fact that we don't think about what comes out of our mouth so many times when we're caught up in the the emotion of the song and the lyrics or the 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 tune of the song. We're we're not cognizant of the the things that we're singing. Like that is, you are charging God with being reckless, like reckless endangerment, reckless driving. Re- like it's never a good thing, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's got a catchy tune, and this artist sang it over here, so we're gonna be like, oh, it's such a good song. It's the reckless love of God. It's not good, and we shouldn't sing it, and we won't sing it. Yeah, I, I, I man, I'm, I'm with you on that 100%. I just, I wonder if there's, I mean, are there any other places where we're singing untruths about God, things sure. that are not true? And we shouldn't. I t- Well, yeah, we shouldn't. We shouldn't do that. But that, obviously, that's the goal. I mean, I, I would give, I, not that I'd give it pass, but I would say, okay, if there's a genuine Christian out there who's singing the song unawares, ignorantly, I think God's grace will even forgive that. I, I would agree with you. I'm my indictment is more on the worship leaders yeah. that are that are peddling it and the, the guy that wrote it. Yeah. That, that's that's where I have a bigger issue. You know what we should do then is write a song about Ezekiel's temple and mm. we can sing that on a regular basis yeah. instead. Let's get to Ezekiel forty. Let's do it. Man, I've been spicy the last two days. I mean, talking about Latin and then Dude, the reckless love of God. That vein on your forehead just yeah. keeps on throbbing. Well, you know, it's gonna pop at some point. I don't point. know what the deal is. Hey, Ezekiel chapter 40. Okay, the new temple. <sighs> yeah, that was unrehearsed. We just both sighed because that's, that's how we feel about this. <laughs> it's not that we don't like it. Okay. Well, I mean, so it's hard feelings. Step number one is, let's be clear, the new temple, this Ezekiel's temple, is not the second temple, okay? So this is not the temple that stood in Jerusalem. It's not Herod's Jesus. temple. It is not Herod's temple. This is a different temple, in fact. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, Beginning in chapter 40 and continuing on through, the Ezekiel gives specifications, and he gives very detailed specifications as to the size and the appearance and the layout of this temple, as well as the geographic layout of this temple, where this temple is located. There is much in this section to indicate that this temple is not even going to be in Jerusalem, that this temple is really kind of central Israel, and that the land looks vastly different in, in this era than it does uh, presently. And so what would account for that? Well, 
a couple things. In Zechariah, we are told that when Jesus returns, that he's gonna, his feet are going to touch down on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is going to split in two. So uh, it is possible that there will be such dramatic uh, earthquakes, things like that, during the tribulation. We know that during that period there will be earthquakes and, and so forth and so on, that, that the geographical layout of Israel changes. Fundamentally changes. Yeah, fundamentally. And so it doesn't look anything like it does today, um, and that that could account for why this temple is where it is. But all that to say, this is not the same thing as the second temple. This is not Herod's temple. This is a diff- different temple. When will this temple be? This temple will, it appears, take place during the millennial kingdom. Now, here's the thing. There's a third temple that's also different than this temple. <laughs> There's a third temple that's going to be erected sometime during the tribulation period. This is the temple that will be standing when the Antichrist goes in and breaks the covenant with Israel and commits the abomination of desolation. That temple will be eventually destroyed as well. That temple still not Ezekiel's temple. Ezekiel's temple is a millennial kingdom temple, and it is the place and the only time since the the glory departed from the temple where the glory of the Lord returns to the temple. So, man, let's let's continue prefacing a lot of this here. Chapters forty to forty eight. Um, almost everybody in the world who's a Christian agrees and scholarly scholarly Christians say that these are some of the hardest chapters to interpret. So they in the have Bible. in the Bible, um, they've spilled a lot of ink. Uh, we've spilled as Christians have spilled a lot of ink trying to make sense of what we're reading. So as you read these chapters and you start scratching your head saying what, where, when, how, why, um, know that you're not the first to ask these questions and you're certainly not going to be the last. So while we make our way through these next eight chapters together, I'm going to give you our best sense of it right now. And we were just talking about this before we started this podcast. We're, we're going to be recording these for the rest of our lives. God willing, we'd love to do this with you guys for as long as we can. Uh, we think there's so much value in reading the Bible together and talking about it. So we're hoping that we're going to get better and understand this better as we work for the rest of our lives through the, through the scriptures together. But one of the things that you should know is that a lot of commentators, especially those in our camp, um, don't think that this is a literal temple. This is symbolic. Uh, so maybe let's start there, Pastor PJ. Why do we think, contrary to a lot of other Christians, why do we think that this is a literal temple that's being described? I, I, number one, we are dispensationalists. So being dispensationalists, we believe that there are is a literal millennial kingdom that is, is coming. And as we interpret the, the millennial kingdom and so many of the prophecies about the millennial kingdom, literally, this is yet another prophecy about the millennial kingdom that fits in that 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 category for us to interpret literally. And also when we look through and read through the the description of this temple, it is so specific and detailed that should we spiritualize this, we're in a whole heap of trouble. You need to do a lot of spiritualizing. Exactly. Because how do you get, I mean, down to the measurements. In fact, I was just looking at one of the notes here. If you look at chapter 40 uh, in verse five, it talks about a measurement here. And it says, uh, the length of the measuring reed in the man's hand was six long cubits, each being a cubit and a handbreadth in length. Okay, there are entire sections of commentaries, and and I read some leading into this, talking about what kind of cubit this is. Apparently, there are three, long cubit, short cubit, right? Three different kinds of cubits. That I don't are know what the there. other one is, and why it has to be one over the other one based on the the square mileage of the city and what they would mean for the square mileage of the city, and even the the geographical where it would stretch to in the nation of Israel if it was one versus the <laughs> other one. It, it, again, it's it's very detailed and very specific, 
if we're going to make this a metaphor or a spiritual reality, then we have to ask ourselves the questions, why would God include so much precise detail in the description of this temple? It's layout, it's structure, where it's going to be, everything else. What happens in the temple. What happens in the temple. Why would he do that if this is just a, a metaphor a la the Valley of Dry Bones that we read about in chapter 37? And that's that's an important point too because that that is exactly what our other Christian brothers and sisters will say. They'll say that this is symbolic. It's meant to encourage Israel that God is great and his grandeur is expansive and and on and on. Um, There's some creative approaches to that. And I think that's good hearted, but wrong headed, as we sometimes say about different things. Now, so we would challenge you as you read through these chapters to, to, to feel the sense of, uh, I don't know, clarity and precision that God offers here. This doesn't seem like God is just saying, hey, here's my symbolic approach to my glory and my honor. We think that this is quite literal. And the reason we think it's millennial is because it really doesn't fit anywhere else. Right. It doesn't seem to have any natural fitting place within the scope of redemptive history. And so we're going to suggest to you that where this makes sense is the millennial kingdom and that it's a literal place where God actually, Jesus that is, will actually be. Now, granted, I should let you know, when you read about the prince in a couple chapters, that's not Jesus. We don't think that's Jesus, and we'll, you'll know for several reasons why. Uh, but just so you know, we think this is literal. Chapters 40 through 48, some of the hardest chapters to interpret in the Bible. Um, we're going to walk you through them the best we can, uh, knowing that our knowledge is limited, and I'm sure so is yours, but we're going to work through it together. We think that you're in the right place, and we're going to do our best to help navigate you through these. Right. As you read through chapter 40, uh, you'll feel like you're you're back in Chronicles reading through the description of the, the Davidic temple, not because it's a parallel to that, not because it necessarily looks exactly like that, or the Solomonic temple, I should say. But, but rather because of, of the descriptions and how it's describing these things. And this is, again, the detail. Chapter 40 really is, is emphatic on that. It, he walks through all the different chambers, the different courts, the different gates of the temple to explain this is what it's going to look like. These are the measurements of it. It's going to be this long. It's going to look this way. And, and it's, again, a reminder to say this is, is going to be a literal place. Ezekiel is seeing a vision of this temple, and it's something that he is recording and recording in this this amount of, of precise detail for us. Uh, one of the things ab- about this that, that's worth noting is that the beginning of the book of Ezekiel was all about the glory of the Lord departing from the, the Solomonic temple. Here then, as Ezekiel ends, as, as the book comes to its conclusion, we see this as Ezekielian temple. Ezekielian <laughs> temple. Again. Yeah. Ezekielian? Where the glory of the Lord returns. And so that's that's kind of bookends to the, the prophet's book here is the, the glory of the Lord departed, the glory of the Lord returns. That was something that I found helpful in this book is, or in reading some commentaries about this larger section of chapters 40 through 48 is they, they've reminded me of the reality that so much of the book of Ezekiel is focused on the glory and the holiness of God. And that's another reason why we believe that this is a millennial kingdom temple, because this will be the idealized temple. This will be the temple, not in absolute perfection, because as we'll get to the, later on, there is still sin in the millennial kingdom, but Christ will be here. This will be the, the, the temple in the full holiness and glory, the most that it ever has been. Uh, and, and there won't be one in the new heavens and the new earth because Revelation 21, and that's one of the reasons why we can throw out the, the metaphorical uh, element of this is because it clearly says in Revelation 21, there is no temple there, right? So even more so, there's a, a room for this to be a literal temple in the millennial kingdom, but this is about the holiness and the glory of God, and this is the temple to reflect that most uh, most accurately in the millennial kingdom. 
So a couple quick notes before we move on for chapter 40 here. Um, just to orient you in terms of time frame, if you take a look at the beginning of chapter 40, you're at about 573, and you're either in the month of April, according to our calendar, or you're in the month of October. Um, and the reason why there's ambiguity there is because when they talk about the first month, first month could be either first in terms of its significance or first in terms of its chron chronology. So uh, if it's significance, you're in the first month, which would be the Day of Atonement, about the, the month of October. So about this time frame, Day of Atonement, which would be highly significant. And that that's kind of where I lean in terms of the, the appropriate timing, the approximate timing that is. And I think that's where God speaks to Ezekiel and says, hey, you want to know something cool? Here's this temple that's coming, talking about the Day of Atonement, the future of Israel and what's going to happen. So that'd be my leaning, but 573, either April or October, depending on which one Ezekiel's referring to. That's helpful. Oh, one other thing too for for literal interpretation, um, in, in verses forty four through forty seven, um, look at the priests here. They're the Zedekites. They're they're from an actual people. Yep. These are actual people. This is an actual lineage of the Levite. So Zadok and his sons are the priests in this new temple. Yep. Which again, if it's if it's a metaphor. <laughs> If it's symbolic, man, my, my brothers and sisters who do follow that, I'm, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to say I agree with you. That's hard, to, that's hard to swallow with this kind of specificity. I agree. I agree. All right. First uh, Peter chapter 5. Less convoluted. Not less important, though. That's right. First Peter chapter 5, Peter t talks to pastors. Now, we've talked about it before, but just let me reiterate here and repeat. Uh, pastor, elder, uh, overseer, all the same term in the Greek. There is not a difference or a distinction to be made between those offices. It's one office. So when it says here, I exhort the elders among you, verse chapter five, verse one, he's writing to pastors. He's saying, I exhort the pastors among you uh, that they need to, and here it is in verse two, we've talked about shepherding a lot in the book of Ezekiel, and here it's applied in the New Testament sense to pastors, that we as pastors need to shepherd the flock of God. Now, what should that look like? How should we do that? Well, we need to exercise oversight. So there's a leadership component to being a pastor there that we find. And, and what should that oversight com, co, consist of? Well, number one, not under compulsion. In other words, nobody should be forced into the role of being a pastor, uh, but willingly uh, that, that this person should desire to, to hold this office. That's something that, that Paul says as well. Anyone who desires the office of an elder desires a noble thing, a good thing. Because uh, God would have that to be the case, as he goes on. And then not for shameful gain, uh, in other words, this shouldn't be that he's looking for gain, gain not just <clears throat> financially, but even materialistically, or, or not just materialistically, I should say, but even uh, notoriety, fame, becoming the next celebrity pastor, going on a circuit to, to be recognized or, or having the biggest church. That shouldn't be the motive for somebody who's a pastor, but they should do it eagerly, uh, not domineering. And so the, the pastor needs to be tender. The pastor needs to be patient with the flock. The pastor needs to be compassionate and loving. Uh, but being examples to the flock there. And we do this hoping to receive the unfading crown of, glory, crown of glory from the chief shepherd, who is Jesus when he appears. Amen. I like the verbiage that he uses in chapter, uh, in verse five, rather, uh, cl uh, clothing. Uh, clothe yourselves, all of you, with, uh, with humility um, toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You might remember James quotes this in James chapter four. I love that concept. What, what kind of clothes do you wear? You should wear clothes that convey humility. And obviously you could take this too, too literally. That's not his intention. 
but it is instructive for us. What what kind of posture do we take in the gathered body of believers? Now, mm. the pastors should should lead the body and what it looks like to exercise humility. And he talks about that, not domineering, et cetera. Uh, but that's true, not only for the pastors, but that's true for everybody. Right. The pastors are leading the example, but everybody is to have humility toward one another. And that's, that's really hard. Uh, we look at that and we say, yes and amen. We'll raise our hands and say, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. But when it comes down to it, that's really hard to do. Yeah. That's really hard. In fact, I was just talking to someone recently that was talking about uh, sharing a situation where there's a there's a a particular person that they were talking to who has really strong convictions about that Latin was this me was this yesterday <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> I'm he was complaining about it on a podcast and I won't tell you which podcast it was it was one that I'm part of but I won't tell you which <laughs> no he was he was he was he had uh, these strong biblical convictions about things that you know probably didn't have to be so strong and, and convictional and yet this uh, this person was exercising not exercising expressing his discontentment with this and that. And again, this comes back down to, okay, are these tier one issues, like you're saying, Pastor Peach? Are these tier two or are these tier three? Do I have to be so dogmatic, so dogmatic about things? Or can I, like we were talking about yesterday, can I cover these things with love mm. and say, it may not be my preference. I may not like that song. I may not like that carpet color. I may not like these chairs, but I could still love my brothers and sisters. Or even with areas of conviction, does this conviction need to be something that causes consternation between me and other brothers. Right. Um, that, that's a tough question to answer. And if you're hum- humble enough, I think you can answer that question with a great de- degree of flexibility most of the time. Yeah. And this is where the body of Christ is, is a helpful resource for you on that. If you've got questions about that, if, you've, if you're wondering, man, is this something that I, should, that I should make an issue or not make an issue? I think you should have one or two people. I mean, not, not probably more than that because it can become gossip or, or divisive if, if you are pulling uh, too many people on an issue that you're not sure whether you should bring up or not. Right. But go to some trusted brothers or sisters and say, hey, is this something that's worth me bringing up? I want to get your read on this because uh, I don't want to do anything that is foolish. Maybe I need to just let this go. If I need to just let this go, tell me I need to let it go and I'll walk away. So the body of Christ can be helpful in that too. Yeah, and that's one of the things, uh, speaking of that division, that's one of the things that Paul charges Titus with. He says, look, if someone who causes division, warn them once and twice and then finally they, they, they're they kicked out of the church. I have nothing to do with them. It is that serious. So I yeah, yeah, and per, there are times when we need to rightly, you know, what do you call it, rock the boat. But there are many times, maybe most of the time, where it's something that we need to get over and not something we need to make us think about. Let love cover a multitude of offenses. Here we go again. Yep. Bring it back home. Well, hey, uh, a verse that we need to touch on because it would be, uh, re- we would be remiss if we didn't. Verse eight, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is why you shouldn't have a cat. Yep. Uh, I agree. I'm not going to argue with you on that. Yeah, no. Um, it's such interesting language here. He prowls around. Guess what lions don't typically do when they're prowling? They don't roar when they prowl because prowling is meant to be subversive. It's meant to be subtle. It's meant to, he's meant to sneak up and, and get the prey, right? Here, he's prowling around like a roaring lion. It's it's almost a paradox there, but I think it's it's there to like call to mind the idea that that there's a subtleness about the enemy's attacks, but also if you're looking, it's not hard to find him. Hmm. If you're aware, if you are alert, if you are sober-minded, it's he's going to stand out. But the, the point that we can take away from this as Christians is we need to be on guard. The, Satan is active, and he is, is certainly one of the things, let me t- tell you this, one of the things he doesn't want to have happen right now is for there to be a bright lampstand in Frisco, Texas at Compass Bible Church. He does not want our church to succeed. I guarantee that. And, uh, and so we need to be on guard against divisiveness. Like we just talked about, it's, it's interesting that this follows right on the heels of these issues of, 
pastoral authority, but also on the issues of humility with one another here in relationships within the church, we need to be on guard because the enemy will do everything he can. And one of the things that will sink our church faster than anything else is divisiveness creeping into the body of Christ. That's right. Well, hey, we are uh, thankful that you guys tuned in for chapter 40 of Ezekiel. Great job. Yeah. Stay with it. Don't give up. Press on. Yeah. And we'll come back tomorrow to talk more about Ezekiel and uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. That's right. There we go. Peace out. See you. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.